Well, uh, no. <laughs> hey, guys. It's a podcast. Oh, it's not any podcast. It's First Issue Club podcast. Matt, roll that beautiful music. Hey guys, this is First Issue Club Podcast, and we have created as club members a podcast for you to enter in the comic book landscape at any fucking time that you want to. We cover number ones and number ones exclusively because we want to invite you into the wonderful reading world that is the comic book landscape. If you're also super into comic books, you might like our podcast too. In fact, I guarantee it. We're all nerds. We're all losers. We all didn't really date that much in the high school middle school form except for mike d <laughs> uh but the rest of us we have to uh, cherish these uh paper books because we're so lonely and that's what this podcast is about what books are we covering greg the books this week we are covering are green lantern on dc marvel knights on marvel and outer darkness on image so we're covering Marvel Knights, uh, which is a book about mystery and uh, Marvel. And in, in the Marvel world, nobody knows what has happened to them until they see something. A totem, a constant, if you will. What would be your thing that snaps you back into reality of who you really are? Oh, I got one. Oh, welcome to Tell Me a Totem with, <laughs> with, with Tell Me Tony. Tell Me Tony and Tell Me Tanya. <laughs> Tell me Tanya's your new character. <laughs> I'm good with it. <laughs> my name is Caitlin, and my totem would be, um, you know those sock monkeys? Yeah. My mom decided to make a sock dog for me, and I named it Judge Reinhold, and I would know <laughs> that it is my totem because nothing like that would exist anywhere else. <laughs> this is Greg Lichtai, and the totem that I would um, see that would snap me back into reality, that I would know who I was and my true identity, was an old Jodie Foster's Army t-shirt that I had that I wore to war and got covered in blood. And I think it just kind of encompasses who I am as a person, which is dirty, filthy, and into shitty music. And when I saw that, I would go, that is none other than Greg Lickdice TV shirt, and I am him, and he is me. No questions asked. Yeah, I mean... It- I think you kind of hit Greg yeah. on the mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> it's either that or a Little Caesars pizza box. <laughs> oh, totally yeah. Little Caesars pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God, please sponsor this show. <laughs> please, 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 please. Oh, man. This is Budget King, and for the last two years, I have successfully worn the same shirt over the weekend. Yeah, weekend shirt! (laughs) So I have a weekend shirt, and uh, it would be my weekend shirt. It's just like a shitty flannel from H&M, I think. Has anyone ever noticed that it is your weekend flannel without you telling them? No. Nobody. It's so uh, innocuous. (laughs) It doesn't even... I think all three of us here can verify this shirt does exist, (laughs) and he wears it every weekend. Yes. I, I... I honestly feel weird if I haven't worn it on a weekend. <laughs> You're like, oh, only three hours left. I have to put it on <laughs> yes, now. I have to put it on, <laughs> even if it's summer. They're, they're like, there are three constants in life. Death, taxes, and Mike Budget King Russo's weekend shirt. Yep. So that would put me back into reality, <laughs> my weekend shirt. That might actually snap me back into reality. Oh, good. Yeah. 
I've only Snap watched it back a handful to of reality. Time. Oop, there goes gravity. <laughs> Oop, they're so mad, but he can't put on this another shirt. Kiki, 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 All right, of course I'm Mike D. My totem would be Bruce Springsteen's The River double album. It was a symbol to me about who my dad was. East Coast, Mambo Italiano, a mozzarella, hot sun on a black top. Working. Taught me everything I need to know. How to break a heart. Getting your heart broken. My dad, uh, I don't know the name of the song, but he brought like a boombox on a beach to get engaged to my mom and played a song from that album. Ooh. Was it sucking down chili dogs? <laughs> yeah. Two hearts Behind are better than one? Um, Two hearts, girl, get the job done. <laughs> Two hearts are better than one. Oh, it's I Want to Marry You. Oh, I marry you. It's true. Oh, girl, I want to marry you. Yes, I do. We could just keep doing this. Actually. Little girl. Just saying oh, other names. I want to marry you. Yeah. Uh, it might have been Hungry Heart, actually. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Let's stay your money and you play your part. Everybody's got a hungry heart. It was actually a Rosalita, but honestly, I, I'm I don't, we don't need to do this joke anymore. I like I'm, <laughs> you're satisfied. Yeah, I feel great. And on that note, let's get this podcast started. Started. You guys can't see this, but I'm playing the saxophone. Up first, we got Outer Darkness by John Lehman and Afu Chan. Let's talk about John Lehman for a minute before we get into this book, which I think is a thing we're going to do on this episode. John Lehman is probably most famously known for doing the book Chew one of my favorite books and you could go back and uh, we talk about the books I got into collecting and I talk about Chew there a lot. He's also doing a book currently called Leviathan and he takes calculated risks in ways that pay off in great ways. He goes weird, he goes funny, and he is probably one of my favorite authors. Um, So I was super pumped. I think as a club we were pumped about this book. Do you think that this book specifically paid off for the level of amped you were about a new John Lehman book? So I actually was going to save this, but I'll save this now. Okay. I think this book is the roadmap to get to where he wants to go full throttle. Okay. This as a number one standalone? Yep. No, but I think like where he's going to go, the promise that he paints in this book is so promising. When I read this, I didn't realize that John Lehman had written it. Oh. I got most of the way through the book, and I was thinking... 
this person must not write a lot of comic books. This might be like <laughs> this might be like a first time comic book. Really? And then I got to like the last few pages of the book and I was like, oh shit, now I'm intrigued. At the end of it, I'm like, oh fuck, this is like a writer that I like know and love. Yeah. And I can't believe that I like was thinking through the things that I was thinking. It almost makes me think that I'd like to go into more books blind. If I had the preconceived notion I was going to like this based on the writer. Yeah. I'd probably have a completely different perspective when I would have started reading this. So so uh, yes. let's give him a brief synopsis of this. Hit me with the name of the main character, Caitlin. Joshua Rigg. Thank you. Joshua Rigg is a, a captain, and so we essentially get him at the point that he has uh, been thrown off his last ship for making a good decision um, or a bad decision, however you, you read it. And he's going to get launched back in to be another captain of the ship, right? So this is a essentially a space opera or an episodic a la Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, all those types of things. The catch here is that this is probably more a space horror than it is a sci-fi episodic in that there is a bunch of like possession, I guess religion based in a lot of ways of mm-hmm. like demon eating like souls and and the thing that powers the ship is a god engine that needs sacrifice to be able to go to warp speed. So this element of like horror inside what is a space episodic brings it to like this new level. Didn't they say the engine before was a hate engine too? Oh, did they? Yeah, I wonder how I, a hate engine is is fueled. Yeah, I was really interested in that. And he seemed almost upset that it wasn't a hate engine. Yeah. He was like a god engine. Oh, but maybe, hell no. Maybe that's because he didn't like the whole thing about like sacrificing tributes to it. Yeah, which was gruesome. I mean, they straight up, like, you kind of even think as a reader, oh, he's going to get out of having to give it human sacrifice. And then, nope. Totally. like <laughs> gives This is it, how the ship goes, so yeah. we just do that. Which is begs the question how they're going to redo that when they're out in space. Yeah. Do yeah, they, it's have like they have a whole bay of prisoners, probably, that they continue to feed it, mm-hmm. I would guess. That's your fuel? That's like your fuel is mm-hmm. people. Mm-mm. How creepy is that? Well, that was one of the things that was just so uniquely interesting to me about it was that you, you typically think about future sci-fi spaceship sort of things as being completely void of religion. Like, everyone's vision of the super future is religion is gone. No one believes in false gods. And this is very much rooted in, like, classic old ancient gods too Mm -hmm. so it's just you know two genres colliding that you just i didn't expect at all and even like it's kind of a lot to jump into in the beginning of the book because there's a whole crew of people half of them are like throwing up and like passed out i honestly thought they were like on acid trips yeah turns out they had hit some type of like asteroid field full of like demons that were possessing (laughs) Uh, the the ship right um, they were doing exorcisms. Yeah. So there's a lot of holy man uh, yeah. holy man aboard ships. And his his right hand man is uh, a witch doctor? Yep. Of sorts or some type of pra- he practices the voodoo religion. Yep. Yeah. Did you guys catch in the first panel that he says uh you're out there aren't you Rochelle? Right about and he's like kind of looking off. I had forgotten that he did that. So many other crazy things happen that that detail is completely lost on yeah. me. I, yeah. Until the very end when they're like, you're going to try to bring her back. And then it's like, who? No. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably her. So they bring that, that story back that he's basically going to kind of go to like the, the craziest depth that you could as a captain of a spaceship in this uh, 
world. It's kind of crazy when you think about how many different like plot lines we've got going just from <laughs> one book where like the narrative seemed pretty damn simple. Yeah. So like have we talked about the engine itself at all? Like the just, god engine? Just that it needs the human fuel. But like the first thing he does when he gets onto this new ship is he goes right to the engine room and basically has to confront this engine and says, listen, I'm in charge, not you. <laughs> and at I'm that point, God. yeah, they're not, they haven't revealed fully what the engine is or what it looks like. Yeah. And you think, like, I was thinking he was talking to an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he was like, I'm in charge of you, you fucking ship. Before they even, like, he goes in there, they go, oh, you're going to talk to it? Yeah, <laughs> like, it was bizarre that he yeah. would even talk to it. I thought that was but crazy. But then it, like, manifests into, like, a face and talks back oh, to him. Oh, how fucking cool yeah. looking was it? <laughs> it, it? It almost like he, he was like berating it because he, he went on this diatribe of just like, listen, whatever world you were worshipped at that is now dead, forget it. Yes. Y- you work for me now. I yes. was so out on this book until that moment. I was like, now I'm, I've never been so turned around on how in on something I was in a matter of, like, yes. a page and a half. Yes. Like, I was like, I'm not going to pick up the second one of these. And then I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, this is crazy. It's I, literally a deity that they have to harness. Yes, I want to know how they harness it and, like, how do they come to that agreement or do the do they, like, steal it from the ether of space? Like Sitting in it, it's like in a tank. The guys they feed to it, you see them floating around in the tank, like with their heads yeah, chopped off. Yeah, it's like the world's coolest like lava lamp. One of the coolest things <laughs> w- at that point was that he decided to spare one of the people who was going to be fed to the deity, and like obviously that person's probably going to play some sort of interesting or important role later on. Yes, but I think they reminded him of himself because the crimes were oh an, similar to things uh, he'd done yeah like kind of like treason or things that were questionable like if you knew the true story you might mm-hmm. and he seemed to think it was based out of survival yeah or he's just a wild card <laughs> and he just kind of plays it cuz i think he, from the hip. he gave her like a job on the ship he did yeah. isn't that right she's like she's a, not just sent back to the prison she's mm-hmm. like now a working member of the crew she's an ensign or something yep yeah but i mean like he has a goal he has like a, a criminal history that will be completely erased, and he'll get his own ship and a ton of money. Well, he has multiple goals. He if also he wants retrieves, to try, try if, to find his girl. But that's like a side goal. His main goal is to like. I think that might be his main goal. I think I think it's enough motivating him that he's going to get paid. But I don't think he would have done it had he had this not offered him the opportunity to get his girl. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I think that this book, uh, as a reader, you should certainly pick up. But you almost completely have to commit to getting the number two, and that's that would be how I sell this book to people. Yeah, I think he's committing to this book too. Yeah. And it Chew was the only book he was doing for a long time, and that was just it was a phenomenon. In in some ways, people thought it was going to be bigger than um, Walking Dead, as far as an image book goes. And really, it, it just didn't get a TV show, and so it kind of went the way of being the the pilot, the B. Yeah, they could still make a show of that. Somebody the has the right. I'm sure. Is so mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that he does is include uh, people of color pretty unanimously, and um, his his partner that he was doing chew with is currently doing farmhand and is a person of color, um, which is refreshing and always nice. Next up, we have Marvel Knights out on Marvel. 
Words and Art by Cates and Foreman. Um, so we talked about Layman for a while. What do you guys think about Donny Cates and his body of work? I'll, I'll say first that I wasn't that familiar with him and his independent work. And then Marvel got a hold of Donny Cates. And it seems like they gave him the keys to the studio where they're just like, anything you want to do, just fucking do it at this point because you're knocking it out of the park. The, you know, the Venom book is so good. One of the things that's funny about the way he writes is like that book is really dark and serious and deals with like interpersonal issues and relationships. And then he writes this other book that's like the Punisher is now an evil ghostwriter character that's taking care of Thanos as a baby. Which yeah. if, if you're not yeah. into Marvel that much, that all sounded like nonsense to you. <laughs> but that book is fucking hilarious. I think he's pretty known for redneck and baby teeth. Yeah, um, and I on, missed those on, on image. Yep. And did he do God Country? Yes. Um, which is going to be a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm at a point now where anything with his name on mm-hmm. it, I'm going to fucking buy it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to me. It kind of brings up an interesting conversation. I think about what success in comic books and comic book writing looks like. Is it writing Spider-Man or Superman, or is it having an independent comic that? is your own and that you really own that becomes like a I sensation. Think, I think if you can do both, if you can get dropped a book from Marvel or DC and like do really well with it, yeah. but you also stand alone with the stories that you want yep. to do, want to tell, then I think I'm in sold. this I think this day and age you got to do both to prove your weight. Like you got to be able to dip in to say, can I do my own book and carry my own arc? Yeah. So, Marvel Knights? Marvel Knights, yes. Let's get into Marvel Knights. All right. In Marvel Knights, all of the people in Hell's Kitchen, possibly bigger spheres, maybe the world, they're struggling to regain their memories. They don't really know who they are, and they've kind of just come to in various scenarios. They're being awakened kind of person by person by Banner and Doctor Doom, Not as a team, or are they? Don't think they are, actually. But anyway, Frank Castle is doing this with Daredevil through most of this book that we see in trying to... Daredevil kind of comes to at the grave of Karen Page, and he's like, I don't know who this person is or why I feel all these things right now. And Castle kind of tries to get him to remember who he is. Um, He is successful, but they kind of have a fight and... Castle has to go off and you see this list that Banner has of the people that he's either tried to successfully he's got red lines through them but I don't know what that means and you see who he's going to come for next and then on the flip side you also see Bullseye and Kingpin struggling with the same issue that they don't really remember but sort of what you were talking about with the Kates like this is a scary scenario that we've come upon but there are these moments of humor where Bullseye's looking through his file, and he's like, Lester? Like, (laughs) you gotta be kidding me. That's not who I am. Lester? (laughs) Yeah. But then you kind of realize that Doctor Doom is primarily leading this. There may also be a machine that needs repair or destruction. You don't really know for sure, but that's where we get left off. So one thing that I... uh, I had a little bit of knowledge of, but might be worth mentioning, is that Marvel Knights is a thing. 
in, in the Marvel Universe that has been around. I think this is actually the 20th anniversary of, yeah. of Marvel Knights. Um, and it was it has been utilized as a way to do mystery, noir, kind of gumshoey things within the universe, um, often involving Deadpool uh, in, in this world. But there's, Daredevil. Sorry, I said Deadpool and I meant Daredevil. <laughs> uh, so, but the, and, and it, this is a true, true just mystery story. Like we, in reading this, we, there's so many mysteries that we get tiny clues for, but we really have no idea what's going on. And that's like kind of the the beauty of uh, what is Marvel Knights. You know who I thought this book was really good for is fans of the Netflix shows who haven't really read the comic books much. Yep. Because we're giving you a lot of the you got a lot foggy of the characters that you love. Yeah. And only so like only the most intense parts of their personality and world, which are very much cohesive with the shows and the inspiration they've taken from the comic books. So it's e- something easy to jump into and get a cool original story and see them interacting with I each other. I think you are 100% right about that. Yeah. Because I was thinking, like, oh, you're, you're going to need to know at least, because they're just, like, Bruce Banner does not look like the Hulk at all. So you just have to know, mm-hmm. which is not too much to ask, like, Bruce Banner, who yeah. Jennifer. is. Jennifer. Yeah, who Freight Castle is, yep. um, who Elektra is. You would just need like a working knowledge of that. But anybody that's really into the MCU is going to have all of that and then probably really love this like mysterious uh, mystery, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it made, did you, were you guys wondering if Foggy and Jennifer Walters, who is She Hulk, still. Ooh, yes. But she has to know because her know hand each other. got. That's. I'm wondering, does she still know that she's, she's a superhero? Gotta know, otherwise. Oh, she's, she's not gonna know until she very... hulks out. Well, her hand got green when she grabbed him. Yeah. Here's oh, you're right. A little tidbit. Myself had uh, something in common with all these characters in this book. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> <laughs> the entire. I, I, I thought you were gonna say you don't know who you are. No. Well, <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly do we myself. do any of us? But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I. This didn't lead into it. the first page. Didn't lead you in. It just plopped you down in the middle of yes madness, which is why we almost didn't cover this book. I mean, I. But it's for me. It was like it started like a great crime story. You're right. Yeah. You're that right. You're just like, oh, like how did this person get here? Like, what are the stakes? What's going on? And then when as little pieces start to become obvious, um, it gets more interesting. But. Like, a story like that, interesting for anybody who's a newcomer, I think. But when you've got a story to tell with who these people are pre-existing, and if you're a fan of that already, it makes it even more fun. So I think this is something fun for people who are wanting to, like I said, dip their toe into Marvel Comics. In some ways, this is kind of uh, Marvel's answer to uh, that really cool DC book. Um, Heroes in Crisis. Yeah, Heroes in Crisis, where it's it's taking a lot of like interesting narrative risks. Uh-huh. Heroes in Crisis, by the way, is taking way crazier narrative yes. risks. Yeah, yeah, uh, and doing some really paying off. Yeah, though. yeah, doing some amazing things. So check that book out. But this seems like it, it could be their Heroes in Crisis. Has potential. That's interesting. Yeah, they all are kind of in crisis right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> But like, uh, Mike thank did- you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unpatronizing. <laughs> I did appreciate it. Now we have 
Green Lantern from DC by Morrison and Sharp. Grant Morrison wrote this. You may have heard of him. He has gone off the rails in the past few years, and uh, people have decided that maybe he should be writing comics again. And this is why we have Green Lantern, number one. Did we need it? I don't know. Was it weird and fun and zany and confusing? Absolutely it was. But here we are, getting ready to review it. <laughs> I, I would say that Grant Morrison might be one of the titans of uh, comic book authors in, in the world up there with, like, Frank Miller. Um, names Also that you, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> names that you would reference as far as, like, changing the whole entire game of comic books. Um, yes. He was a, a godfather of... He actually wrote Green Lantern many, many, many moons mm-hmm. ago. Doom Patrol, Invisibles, iterations of Batman... Um, that you probably know and love. So, um, yeah. So having him write this is, is good. And he also is a huge risk taker in comic books and a, a little bit of a crazy man, bit of a drug taker as well. He, he claims to have been abducted by aliens. What? I don't know that. Is that true? I read, I read his biography and I wasn't... Are I, you thinking of Tom DeLonge? I don't remember that, but... <laughs> oh, my God. I don't, oh, I don't. yeah, easily confusable. I will say that he <laughs> he takes it's great pride in the comic book industry and 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 has made sacrifices and and taken risks to save it in a lot of ways that turned out to be good for him but could not could could have gone the other way. Yeah, he certainly it's an event when he does when he releases something new. He's also I will say he doesn't knock everything out of the park. Not a huge fan of Nameless. Um, yeah, that was a weird one. Well, I think that's what happens though. He does these books like Green Lantern and Batman. And he does a great job just so he could probably do things like uh, the the other books that you mentioned. Yeah, it's just I, you never know what you're gonna get with him. Like sometimes I read some of his books that are like so super accessible, and then other times it, they're impossible for me to follow. Just so random and jumping from yeah. one thought to another. I I think that he is a person who cannot help but critique the comic books that he's writing while he's writing them. Doom Patrol to me is still one of my most favorite books, and yeah. I think that to write a superhero team whose powers are all derived from psychosis or uh, some type of, like, mental handicap is fucking brilliant. He's one of those people where I feel like his intelligence has transcended what I'm able to realistically enjoy. That Yep, I, you're right. It's, it's not that he's bad at doing anything he does, because, like you said, he's critiquing the form and he's taking things to new heights. But I just hit a level where he's just so fucking smart and into what he's doing that it's just, it's difficult for me to even perceive what the point is in some of them. And I don't really want to pass myself off as somebody who gets it. Yeah. If I don't. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah, he does have a pretentious, uh, like, veneer to him. But like I you think said. if you do get it, then... I mean, I don't necessarily think that that's pretentious. I'm happy for you that these kinds of books exist where you can be like, I may be one of the few that this is really for. Yeah. It's, it's, but easy. I'm not, I don't think I'm there. It's easy. And I, I think it's easy to read things as pretension when you just don't understand them. Yeah. And I, and I don't know that he's coming from that perspective. Like, I don't think, I don't know that he thinks he's better than everybody. No. I, don't, if you don't I don't get it. I don't then think it's he your does. Because he's written some goofy fun stuff that would indicate the complete opposite but the guy's just on another level smart and religiously enlightened well he's <laughs> he's he's been writing comic books for 
I, I want to say almost 30 to 40 years. Right. And like, he still looks like he's 20 years old. Yes. Like he is. <laughs> he has been a massive part of the comic book landscape, forming it and molding it. So, like, he is like. One of the watchers now. All right, so uh, so Greg, we we went and got this at midnight because it was such a big uh, comic book. What happens in Green Lantern number one? So we get a story of essentially a mission gone wrong on another planet where two Green Lanterns are killed by these criminals that they have apprehended on a space plane. The plane crash lands into Earth near Hal Jordan, who if you don't know... Who Hal Jordan is? I don't know why you're reading Green Lantern right now. <laughs> uh, but Hal Jordan is a very famous Green Lantern from the Green Lantern Corp, and he aids the fallen Green Lantern members in recapturing the the uh, villains or slash prisoners and getting his Green Lantern ring repowered up for whatever reason because his lantern was uh, taken away from him because I guess he's on some kind of probation for being him. <laughs> and uh, I get the crux of the story is the great book of destiny that the what are these people called OA 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 yeah, has uh, has been rewritten mm-hmm. so it's untrustworthy now you know one of the things that was interesting about it to me was a lot of the characters in it beyond my perception like of course aliens would be like this like I couldn't <laughs> dream up like a sentient crystal guy yeah, who wields like yeah. this unimagined power that, like the space police corps, is in charge of. Yeah, it's it was just so insane to such an insane degree, and the idea of coming up with a character like that and then having a comic book that has like twenty characters like that yeah. in it, I was just like, God, the creativeness <laughs> he created that went two, into just he this. created two tiers of bad guys. Uh-huh. He created these like space pirates that uh, think that they're like badasses and to find out that they don't even have the right tool that they need to be like continuing on and then there's this like upper echelon of bad guy who are like recreating a new green lantern to like zombify i guess or something i don't even know what their actual goal is but yeah i think what they call like the the anti anti anti-matter anti-green yeah i don't remember how jordan being this much of a fucking cock Like, he's a real prick in this. So you I think so? I didn't I, read him like a prick. I, I didn't either. I, I think his defining characteristics are, like, tumbleweed-esque. I think one of the f- most fun things about him is, is, like, he is most him when he's becoming a space cop. But when he has to be on Earth and, like, find a mate and a job and, like, go through <laughs> life, he's a wreck. That's what they. That's what they talk about in the author's notes. I didn't read which the author notes. Which is why I liked yeah. it so much. What did they say? What did they say in the author notes? They were saying that it's like a very kind of icky time to write characters like him right now, so that it was almost a, like a way forward with somebody like him to make him totally displaced. There's no real place for him because there really shouldn't be. Like if you're reading him as that kind of prickish. Like, I just don't, I'm not contributing anything. I'm just kind of like yeah, being and interfering. And then I go off and I do my space cop stuff. Yeah. He's kind of like a top, Tom Cruise kind yeah, of character. Like he, yeah, like a, like a Patrick Swayze kind of just like roadhouse. Just yeah. Like. <laughs> I, always, I feel like I always give everyone in the podcast a stink eye when we start talking about art. Because it's just like, we're on a podcast. People can't see the shit we're talking about. 
the art was about as fucking bonkers as the writing was. I'll agree with that. There was just so many little things to look at that, like, what's important, what's not important. And I would just get, like, lost in these scenes and then move to the next page and be like, it was almost more disorienting to me. There was even some stylistic changes. Yeah. I almost thought, am I getting multiple stories here? And it's just like a <laughs> weird annual for like a couple pages. And then it just continued. But Yeah. yeah, All the same artist. Mm-hmm. And I think same colorist too, which I guess speaks to their talent level. But holy shit, is there a lot going on here? The artist said that he got three <laughs> pages of notes from Grant Morrison on like the second panel of the second page alone. Really? And it just goes to show you how much, like, he's into orchestrating what he's creating. This had, like, a very old-school feel to it. Like, comics from, like, the 70s and 80s had, like, all that stuff always going on in, like, panels. Like, Uh it threw me back to that. I loved it. Like, I thought it was great. I think Grant Morrison's the type of writer who can give people... People who want, like, a return to glory for the superhero. It's, like, a common conversation in comic books is that they're not using them like they used to, and there used to be these epic stories that we don't get anymore. And, you know, we sit on this podcast and we say, we want these more personal, interesting stories that are so different than what those, like, old-school comic book fans want. And I feel like Grant Morrison's the kind of writer who can probably appease both people, that, like, there are things that I see in this comic book that are very much old-school, epic, straight-up superhero, pulp comics... And at the same time, really interesting, weird narratives that are given like us alt hipster comic nerds <laughs> uh, everything we want to tickle our brains. Mm, tis us. Mm-hmm. There is a rumor about this book. Oh, enlighten me. So if, if you people listening out in the world don't know, there is a book that is going on right now called Doomsday Clock. Oh. Which is about the Watchmen universe. Colliding with the colliding DC with universe. the DC universe, yep. there's a rumor that this little symbol right here on this page, where the book of Oa is opening up, that is the symbol that Doctor Manhattan has on his forehead. Oh what? shit! So the rumor is Doctor Manhattan, Manhattan is rewriting that book. Yes. Oh fuck! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh, I love that. So if that is true, this book is very interesting. Holy crap. I love that. Because Dr. Manhattan is the blue guy from the Watchmen. Why why would he why would he do that? I have so many questions. Doctor now. isn't Dr. Manhattan he's always just like, I know what's best for everything and he just does it. Yeah. He doesn't I mean, consult anyone. Like Thanos yeah. kind of. Yeah. 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 Absolutely right. <laughs> I don't know why I was so exacerbated. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so on point. <laughs> Well, which which makes more sense to what's going on here because you've got these crazy godlike creatures and this ever-present tome that can, like, tell the future and past and present. And the fact that it's changing is very concerning, right? They're, yeah, all, like, they're all, like, just convinced there's a mole. Right. Like, who else would be able to do this? Oh, man. But their only solution is just to be like, okay, so nobody trusts anybody. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be like the tinfoil Green Lantern core pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, any, there was a ton of books out this week, and it was hard to cover them all, but we thought this maybe we would fit in um, a book that's not necessarily a number one, and we might keep on doing this or we might not, but this week at least was worth talking about something else. 
as a little addition. Yeah, if you could do us a favor, tweet at us and tell us whether you like this or not. We're going to talk about Batman number 58 because we've got a writer that we really love in Tom King. He's done a con- bunch of awesome stuff that we've loved. Anything in particular you guys want to shout out? Uh, Vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Caitlin loves Vision. I think that was the book that like kind of got you into comic books, right? Yep. Yarp. This dude, he's unreal. That book was crazy good. And so he's been writing Batman for a while in a handful of other DC books. We mentioned Heroes in Crisis earlier. Is which he writing Mr. Miracle? Oh, the fuck, pardon. Mm-hmm. And he's writing missing <laughs> Mr. Miracle, which mm-hmm. is very similar to a Vision-looking sort of character. That was weird to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like, I just got to find another guy who looks like this. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that guy. Yeah. I just can't live with myself unless I'm writing a guy like this. <laughs> Batman 58, first issue club. Settle down, babies. Settle down. <laughs> this is the first issue of a new arc, and this happens a lot in comic books. I probably don't have to explain this to you, but we kind of finish a tale, start another tale, and as a casual comic book fan who doesn't follow a storyline, it's kind of hard to know, like, when's a good time to hop back into Batman? That's, <laughs> you know, at like any random number. Yeah. Between like one and a million, a, a million, depending yeah. on like what the publisher is deciding to do with the book at any given time. So, for whatever reason, right now, Batman Fifty Eight has the arbitrary number of fifty eight on it, and it could have just as well have been a number one in our eyes. They're starting with a new, interesting story that brings the Penguin back into the fold. A great classic Batman villain that. I haven't necessarily seen in an interesting role Mm-mm. in a while, or at least a prominent one, that, you know, he, he was one of those classic villains that maybe got overplayed a little bit and kind of disappeared. But and the, and the thing about Batman villains is they're pretty tropey, like, so they're hard to kind of go back and... Oh, totally. Like, re- revisit and, and make them more or flesh them out. Um, and so in this book we get, it, it's, it's mostly led by the Penguin. Uh, right, the entire narrative arc is led. He's by He's almost the star character. We pro- we get more Penguin than we get Batman in this, by far. Yeah, he's what well, we find out at right, right at the top of the book. His um, wife and lover has died. Penny murdered by Mister Freeze? Question mark? Question mark? Some Seems other nice. higher power? Penguin essentially tries to get revenge for. Um, the murder of his wife goes to jail for some time, gets out of jail again, and starts scheming to uh, get get after Bruce Wayne because of his involvement in a lawsuit that convicted Mr. Freeze of something. So we're at a point now where we can tell the penguin strings are being pulled, that he was like the guy and his and a nemesis in his own right. And now he's being controlled a bit and being used as a pawn to do, I don't know, do other stuff. I don't know. What do you guys think of this? I uh, liked it a lot. This was kind of like a penguin that I haven't seen in a while where he was just like a mob boss. Like he like normally you think of the penguin as just like this little chubby little big nosed guy just kind of waddling around. Mm-hmm making penguin noises and this made him actually pretty fucking brutal like he has a vision in his mind that uh he almost kills alfred yep and he uses that as a a tool to 
get Bruce Wayne slash Batman to his lair or whatever to get him involved in this whatever scheme he has schemed up. And then to top it all off, he has someone, he has one of his henchmen kill the helicopter pilot and then kill himself. Yeah, they kind of show how much power he wields over people. I don't want to go too much into this book because we're adding it as a fourth one, but would you just like quickly say, I guess, if you think this is a good place for people to jump in on uh, for Batman, as you kind of let in, Mike? I think so. I definitely think so. Caitlin? Yes. Oh, you feel like you were, I feel like you were pressured into saying yes. No, I mean, um, well, we talked about Green Lantern just being kind of like a, a whirlwind that wasn't necessarily a number one. I do think this um, had a better number one feel to it for yeah. me. My critique is I think they should have called it Penguin number one. Yeah, yeah. Or like the arc should just be like Penguin. There, w- there were some yeah. confusing things to me, though, and I didn't necessarily get the sequencing. When he's going in the prison... Mm-hmm. Down into the. This was another one where the se- the sequencing was very odd. Yes, that so it, that would be the it, only thing I would say. It really jumped from really... timeline to timeline to timeline without giving you much of a signature or clue how much time had passed. Yep. Like, are we going into the future? Or are we going into the past? So it was a little bit hard to follow. So I think this book overall, great time to jump into Batman, but expect a Penguin story. Yes, completely. Uh, when you're going to read this Batman, and maybe they become a duo. Um, or something like that, but you're going to be getting a Batman perspective from Pem- from Penguin. And I think whatever happens, I would say not your typical Batman thing, so interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, this is the end of First Issue Club podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We enjoyed these books, and we hope that you enjoyed them too. We had a, a bang-up week. This week was so much fun for comic books. So go November. Good job, November. Good job, comics. Uh <laughs> So far, so good. Yeah, so far, yeah. <laughs> a, a plus this week. Okay, but uh, our podcast is recorded in KCR 89.3 Studios. Our wonderful and talented producer is Matthew Hodap. Um, from that, we are part of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts, and our music is from Primary Color Music. Find us on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Gmail. Uh, we haven't said it in a while. Find us on iTunes, rate and review, five stars. Uh, looks really good on us for when people try to look for us. Yep. So please go and do that. We are still the number one podcast in Kansas City. They have not revoked it. Yep. Oh, check out uh, White Whale Comics on YouTube. Yeah. They're doing a bunch of uh, cool things there, and they're doing a reading club once a week where they're doing first issue clubs, which we're going to probably join at some point. Yeah, so that's super fun. A lot of cool things coming your way. Um, yep. So this is Budget King and God's plan. God's plan. I thought I would hate this uh, time with you guys, but I don't. I thought I'd go to bed sad, but I won't. Because this podcast is God's plan. God's plan. God's plan. <laughs> this is Greg Lichtai signing off. I'm Caitlin Rossick, and I will show myself out. I'm your favorite thin-lipped bad boy, Mike D, saying goodbye. (laughs) That's good. Thin-lipped bad boy and nonchalant Drake over here. (laughs) Bye.